0: You're listening to the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast, your source for tips and tricks on building wealth through real estate in Connecticut. You will get the best techniques from leading local experts in real estate and lending. Now, here's your host, Robert Weinberg. Good Saturday morning to everybody and welcome to Mortgage Matters radio show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast along with Rob Weinberg. I'm Gary Byron. Rob, good morning.
1: Hey, Gary. Good morning to you. Good to see you. You too. You too. What's new with you?
0: What's new with me? Oh, all right. You sure you really want to know? Uh oh. Are you just what asking I... to be nice, or are you asking because just you, trying you, to make conversation? You sincerely here. care. I'm looking for a new house. You know, I, I, you know this. I because, know this well. Yeah. Um. And here's my dilemma. So I'm checking, you know, Realtor.com and Zillow and all those. I'm finding the same houses every, you know, I I check every other day, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and I I see the same houses, you know, and there's not even much of a selection, you know, one town, you know, if I'm looking at four towns, one has six houses, one has five, one has three, one has seven, it's like, and it's the same ones. And then, you know, if one drops off and another one comes on, it's like, it's nowhere near what I'm looking for. And another part of the dilemma is I'm finding houses that are either way out of my league or... Way under my league, I guess, for lack of a better term. You know, I'm looking for something that's just kind of smack dab in the middle. And to be perfectly honest with you, they're in short supply. I mean,
1: look, this is the dilemma that every home buyer is facing for the last 12 months, at least. And really, the last couple months, it's gotten worse and worse, right, as the seasonality takes effect. So being that we're, like, coming out of the winter, going into the spring— we're, hit, we're coming out of the time of year when no matter what's going on, we have the lowest inventory, okay? You see the ebb and the flow every right. year. So what I would say to that, I mean, two things. Number one is expand your search because I know that you have certain areas you want to live in. You lived in Connecticut for decades and decades. You know where you want to be. But there are certain little towns that are, you know, up and coming, and there are certain areas that maybe shouldn't or wouldn't be on your radar that now could be. You know, potential.
0: Yeah, so, but I, I gotta—I don't want to be driving miles and miles and miles to, to go where yes. my base is. Right,
1: which is here.
0: Well, yeah, not, I mean, not literally in a town of Bloomfield where DRC is, but, I mean, in my area of Newington, area. Weathersfield, right. Berlin, Rocky Hill, you know, in that area there.
1: Okay. Well, just be open to maybe one extra town here or there where it wouldn't add much to your commute. Then the second thing is staying the course. Like, I know in your case, your pre-approval is still good. We got a couple months left on it, so... Mm like don't, now's not the time to give up hope because now's the time when the most opportunity is. The interest rates are up. The prices are up. You know, everything's up. This is when a lot of people are bowing out. This is when you have that little needle in the haystack that you can find, right? So I remember myself looking at homes, you know, a decade ago when I was looking at it and I was like giving up hope, very mad, having the same type of emotions you're having. And then I saw it. It was like, Something, I don't know, God spoke to me, right? And all of a sudden, the perfect property came, the perfect scenario, the right price, everything, and we closed the deal. So, like, had I been off my ringer and pissed off and just saying, forget this, the market sucks, I wouldn't have seen that opportunity. You know, I wouldn't Hmm. have. Um, I was about ready to just throw in the towel. But right now in this April to May timeline, like, now is when... More properties come up for sale versus the prior month. Okay. So now's the time when you should be looking closer at the properties coming up and all that. No one's saying that you're going to find something, but you got to be in the game.
0: To well, have listen, I mean, you're right. It's the first weekend of April. I get it. Um, so I'm not tossing in the towel now, but I think once I get through July and start getting into August, it, once I get there and there's been no nothing yes. that really strikes me, I'm going to, you know, I'll just sit there and say, Next year.
1: Well, and that's a good point you make, Gary, because every home buyer comes to a point in their pre-approval process where we have to make a decision. Do we continue? Do we renew? Do we, you know, long this out even further? Or do we throw in the towel and say, hey, the timing's not good. Let's just basically put a cap on it and say we're not looking at homes anymore. So for you, it's going to be about 30 days before your pre-approval expires that we'll collaborate a little bit and say, hey, where are we at? We'll get uh, Alan, your realtor, involved. Should we continue looking or is this as good as it's going to get? And if we decide we're going to put it, you know, hang the towel up, so to speak, then so be it. And we can reconvene on it, maybe further out in the fall, winter, next year, whatever it may be. But that's a decision to not make now. That's a decision to make at the time your pre-approval expires. Yeah, and
0: and I think my my pre-approval expires in May. So let's say I re-up it one more time. That'll take me through, what's it, four months? Yeah, August, September. June, July, August. It'll take me through September. There we go. And then if nothing is done by then... Then I'll just wait until the following. There's
1: nothing wrong with that. But you're in the game though and you're looking and that's the main important thing because some people have some bad offers or have a bad experience with a certain listing agent or a certain deal and it sours their entire approach to the home buying process. That's what you don't want to happen because you can switch realtors. You can switch lenders. You can change your circumstance to make it more – uh, or I should say less stressful and an easier process. But don't just say, no, I'm done. Well, no,
0: ironically, I have my team. I have the you people do. in place. It's the house I can't find. So, right. You know.
1: Well, hey, we'll uh, continue to to keep everyone abreast and hopefully some better news for you. <laughs> Today, Gary, I wanted to switch it up a little bit on today's show because, you know, we talk so much numbers, so much about mortgages and about, like, Just everything that goes into that process. And I think that there's a lot of information out there and a lot of people want to know about not only the numbers behind a mortgage, but the trends that go with the housing market. Especially right now with inventory being tight and a lot of people out there in the market looking for homes and having trouble. Let's talk about the housing trends. I want to talk about the forecast of housing trends. I've done done a good bit of research going into the show today so that I have some real concrete information to share about housing trends and what's next for homeowners, what's next for homebuyers, what's next in the housing market, because we are continually seeing this shift. And as the seasons change, I think it'll be even more pronounced
0: now, too. What are then? What are some of the key trends that you're seeing or you anticipate right now?
1: So I know there's a lot of people calling for a housing crash, and I'm sure many home buyers like you would be very excited to hear about a housing crash or homes going down. No, 20, because I'm for-
0: selling a house as well. So, I mean, you know, I don't want I don't want that to happen. Right. I, I'd just be happy if there was greater inventory right now. That's you know.
1: That's for sure. Well, a lot of people are calling for the housing crash, whether they want it or not. It would make it easier for a lot of people to buy homes. So I don't think that's going to happen. What I can see and have even just in the last few weeks heard is continued support of increasing home prices. So we're not talking about homes going up 20, 30 percent like they did in the last year or two. And we're not talking about bidding, you know, 30,000 over the asking price, which has been common over the last couple of years. But just a slow and steady increase in housing prices, two to three to 5% a year. That's what's average. That's what we're gonna continue to see. And the reason we're gonna continue to see that is because supply and demand, very low supply of homes, lots of home buyers, lots of demand for people that wanna move, right? So those are people that are going to be looking at listings every week, those are people that are gonna be going to open houses. They're not going to be only bidding on houses that are 20, 30, 40 percent off their highs. They're going to be putting bids on homes that, you know, at list price, maybe a little over list price. I don't think we're going to see that 20, 30,000, 50,000 over ask other than maybe isolated, you know, isolated situations. So a slower pace of increases than what we've seen. The next thing is talking about the volatility in interest rates. So, that obviously has a big effect on the housing market. And I'm not only talking about interest rates going up, because they have obviously gone up quite a bit in the last 12 to 18 months, but I'm also just talking about the volatility where it's like up one day, down another. You know, one day the interest rate you might qualify for is six and a half percent, a week later it's six and an eighth. How can there be so much of a gap, right? How can there be so much volatility in the market? And what that creates for homebuyers is uncertainty. Well, I was approved for this much at one time, but now I'm approved for a lot less. That scares me as a homebuyer, right? I don't know what my mortgage payment's gonna be. It's changing so much. I think that like five or 10 years ago when the internet wasn't so top of mind for everyone, when we weren't on our phones getting information constantly, the day-to-day fluctuations in interest rates, they didn't really matter. If you weren't a real estate professional or mortgage professional dealing with buyers on the ground, you know, ground floor every single day, the interest rate changing didn't really matter. But now because this media is so in our faces and they're putting out news stories and you're getting all this information, that day-to-day now can scare people. And I, I think that that's a bad thing. Because it used to be up to the professionals. Now you can get what infor- whatever information you want as a home buyer, good or bad or indifferent. And sometimes it's inaccurate. Um, Another thing that I think we're going to see is an increased demand for sustainable living, okay, and also eco-friendly homes. So I know that some in the older generation could give two rats, you know what, about the – uh eco-friendly and some of that. Others, really, it's a big deal to them. So I think a lot of the younger generation, the millennials, Gen Z that are getting into their first homes now, they see the impact that environmentally friendly can have on the universe. They want to be a part of that. So they're willing to maybe pay a little bit more for homes that have that eco-friendly environment, that have that sustainability where they're not so reliant on like the normal gas, electric, all the stuff that we use the fossil fuels and all the stuff that goes into affecting the environment right like we don't even think about it Mm. even in my generation like we just throw on the heat and call it a day but
0: we have an aging population so how do like demographics you know fit into all of this
1: so aging population is big because as medical Care advances, people are going to be able to stay in their homes for longer, right? That means that the homes that they live in are going to need to be more accommodating for retirement, for that final chapter in life. So, what we're talking about is smaller homes, less square footage, so easier to move around, Mm -hmm. and also condominiums. You know, condominiums have always been a great entry level property for people because of the price. But they're also becoming really in demand with seniors and people entering that final stage. Oh, yeah. And it's because less maintenance. To oh, yeah. With.
0: Nobody wants to shovel or you don't want do to shovel, and- do the
1: lawn. You don't have to deal with a lot of the upkeep. So they're willing to pay this premium to be able to get into a condo or that sort of shared living where they can share the expenses for that. And it's creating a better scenario. The other thing is changes in family structures. This is something we haven't really touched on much, but what I've been hearing and seeing with a lot of my clients is that as the population ages, as their parents age, right, instead of just going on to that assisted living or going on their own, because of the increase in home prices, a lot of families are choosing to be together and say, hey, let's get a home with an in-law apartment and have mom and dad along with us. They can help with the kids. I know it sounds crazy, but I will tell you, I've had you know, a half a dozen I can think of in the last year that were moving from a regular home and looking to upgrade simply for the reason that they want to have multi-generational households. So they're talking about having parents, grandparents living with them for that final chapter because they can, right? And that person can then help Chip in for the mortgage, chip in for the taxes and all that stuff. Hmm. So I think the changing in family structures, that right there can create a demand for actually larger homes or homes with more of the amenities we're talking about, like the in-law apartments, two master suites, you know, that sort of thing. Um, And then millennial and Gen Z actually prefer smaller and more affordable homes. So what what we're looking at there is a lot of millennials, Gen Z, they saw their parents Hmm. go through the last housing crisis. They saw many friends, family, and acquaintances get foreclosed on, right? Or lose their homes to short sale, that sort of thing. And they remember that. Like, I even remember myself, you know, being young, pretty young at the time, starting in the industry. I remember a lot of families that I worked with and and friends and family of them and hearing about these foreclosures, right? So it stays in our head. So they don't want that. So they're being a lot more economical when it comes to, lower mortgage payments. No matter what the rate is, I want a lower price on the house. I want a smaller house, less utility bills, less upkeep, less maintenance, less cost. Now that savings on my home expense, I can now redirect to funding a better retirement, maybe retiring early, traveling a lot more. A lot of these people in the younger generation have remote work. They can work partly or fully remote. They want to travel. They don't have the money to do that. But if they get rid of that high expense of living in the city with a high mortgage, high taxes, all that, and they can cut that down, now they have money to fulfill these life experiences that they want. This travel, this more engagement and culture, right? Mm-hmm. They're not just working to pay their house bill anymore, pay their mortgage. They're not house poor. They're, they're working every day to fund their lifestyle. And housing is going to be a smaller portion of that for them, not larger, like in the previous generation. But you,
0: there's such a variable interest rate out there right now. That's got to impact all of this.
1: No, it does, Gary. It does. You know, and I know even you. In your case, you've been concerned with me about rising rates, and you're someone in the market. And you know, you extrapolate that. You're someone who's you know owned a home. You've had a, a home before. But look at it now from the standpoint of someone that hasn't. It's scary, right? Mm. Especially if you're someone that is in communication with your wealth team. Your mortgage advisor, your realtor, financial advisor, and you're hearing about the volatility with interest rates. You're seeing the the news, you're you're reading the headlines Unfortunately, I do think that some people are going to get just scared out of the market by hearing that. And the unfortunate thing is when we saw a spike in interest rates in November last year, they went up to like seven and a quarter to seven and a half. Mm. That range, you saw a lot of buyers get out of the market at that point. But what happened just a few weeks later is the rates came down. Okay, they came down significantly. So I say to all of our listeners that just because the rate is seven, seven and a quarter, eight, nine, doesn't matter what it is today. That doesn't necessarily mean that's the rate that you're going to get. Everyone's circumstance is different. And also you only get your interest rate once it's locked in. So if you're just casually browsing for homes, I really wouldn't let it stress you that you hear rates spiking. I really wouldn't because that's just media garbage. It's just nonsense to get more views. Okay, I've seen rates spike. I've seen them go down. I've seen everything in between over my 21 plus years in the industry now. And like, let me stress about your rate. Let your advisors, your wealth team, let them stress about that stuff. That's what we get paid to do. But as a home buyer, know and trust in your team and that you're going to get the best deal available. Also, trust in the process in the long term of it, meaning the rate you get today is not necessarily the mortgage or the rate that you're going to have a couple years from now. So, I think that that higher rate or that volatile rate scenario is going to just create a slowing in price growth. Um, it's going to make some buyers have a lot of difficulty finding a home because, as I said earlier, if they were approved for 400000 and now they're only approved for three seventy five because of the rates going up or being volatile, well, that can create a scenario of uncertainty and that can create a scenario where they feel like they're not empowered anymore. Well, I thought I had this. Now I only have this and it sours their taste of the housing market. So that's another thing. I do think one silver lining, though, of the volatile interest rates and of people potentially getting out of the market is going to be an increase in rental demand. You know, we've talked about investor loans, we've talked about, um, you know, buying homes to rent out. Those are going to be beneficiaries of people bowing out of buying homes because those people have to live somewhere. We've seen a large increase in rents. The landlords are the one that benefit from that. And I think we're going to see an, a further increase in rents. Maybe not a huge increase uh-huh. or spike, but a further increase as more people bow out of the housing market and get into being renters. Or they're just
0: not qualified for a mortgage. Exactly. Folks, you're listening to Mortgage Matters radio show in the Connecticut Real Estate Age podcast along with Rob Weinberg. I'm Gary Byron. You can check out more information online at robgw.com and you can also call him at 860 860- I'll repeat all of that information, even give you an email address more towards the end of the show. But how are changing, let's call it, um, (coughs) excuse me, let's call it environmental regulations and and concerns. How are they likely to shape the types of homes and properties that people are interested in buying?
1: Right. So what we're seeing (sighs) with the increase in regulations and concerns uh, really is going to be energy efficiency and eco-friendly homes. There's going to be a higher demand for energy efficient homes that will lower utility bills. There's going to be a higher demand for properties that are eco-friendly, like we were talking about sustainability, that that sort of thing. There's going to be more focus on sustainable building practices and materials. One of the coolest things I've seen along these lines is 3D printed homes. So they're taking homes... That would have needed to be, you know, an entire construction crew and a couple months to build. And they're literally turning on a 3D printer, putting the materials in, giving the plan. And the 3D printer is able to print a home in mere hours. Okay, that's going to create less expensive homes. They're made with eco-friendly materials. So it's going to be the perfect storm. Now, this is just catching on. I think they've just uh, built the first couple Homes that are being 3D printed. But this is what I see as the future of affordable Uh, housing
0: a 3D printer printing a home.
1: Yes. So instead of a builder sitting there and hammering a nail, there's going to be a printer that looks like a robot that actually can print that home. So it prints the materials. It prints out concrete. Basically, it prints concrete according to a specific plan that it's given. who, Who makes
0: this printer, brother?
1: I don't know what company HP? there's. I mean, there's new companies. Well, how do you get it out of the truck? It's a robot.
0: So it's not really a printer. I'm, I'm it's envisioning like a, a printer. Robot a printer. Print, we have a it's printer like in the a, room. It
1: looks like a large robot, but it actually has output. So it spits out stuff and you can put building materials and plans in it. So I don't know enough about it other than the articles that I've read, but this is the future of sustainable housing because you can control a lot more what actually goes into the house, the materials. And instead of having a whole construction crew, all these people you have to pay, Mm. now it's like the robot and one or two people. That's it. And these homes can get built very, very quickly. I was right
0: about to ask you, I mean, who's putting them together and how long does it take?
1: So the other thing is great interest in outdoor spaces. Uh, That's big. People want to be outdoors a lot more. And access to nature. I think there's still this residual effect from COVID that people still... They want that freedom, right? They don't want to be cooped up in this small space. So even if you have a smaller square footage home, you still want that outdoor space. You want that additional accessibility to be in nature, and that's a big thing that's driving the eco-friendly for the future. So
0: what are, what can home buyers expect? Let's say in terms of we were talked about already availability, but affordability as well in the in the coming, let's say, the like next few years.
1: I would say the way it looks right now is that this low inventory, it's going to keep escalating prices. Like I said, slow and steady. I don't see us with big spikes. I don't see us with 20% growth. I don't see the 50,000 over ask or any of that crazy stuff from the years that have gone. But I do see a continued low inventory. So there are going to be new homes coming on the market. There's going to be a lot of people buying and selling, but it's still historically low. It's still not enough to take care of all the people that want to buy homes. Okay, so that's going to create that continued price growth. The increasing demand for homes, I think, ultimately will create more of the bidding wars we saw years ago, right? So multiple bids coming in on one home. That can drive the price up. But before the show, you were telling me as someone that took a lower offer because it was cash. Mm -hmm. So every situation is different. You have to be a little bit more particular about getting your act together when it comes to your professionals and who you work with to make sure you get the deal. And I think that the interest rates, if they continue increasing, it's going to make it more difficult for certain buyers to qualify. It's going to make them leave the market because they can't even afford that entry-level home.
0: You know, last week, I'm not sure what day, I think it was Tuesday, I thought I saw on the cover of the Wall Street Journal as, as Hartford, the Hartford market being one of the I more desirable it. and affordable um, you know, I I I guess geographical locations yes. uh, are promising emerging emerging markets. Uh is 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 that true? I mean, is this really It is.
1: That's the second article this year I've seen about Hartford County wow. and Hartford MSA being one of the top growth markets in the country. Look, let's be real. If you've been studying or looking at the Hartford County market, it's been depressed for decades, you know? <laughs> like yeah. it's been well, one of like, the worst markets.
0: When I saw this, I was like, you But you
1: realize you can only hold it down so long. So like Hartford being depressed, there's pockets, you know, Glastonbury's not a bad area. You know, there's certain areas in Windsor that are good. But like when we talk about Hartford County, a lot of people zero in on Hartford, like the city, the inner city. That area has been depressed for long. Now they're building like nicer properties around there. They're trying to gentrify the area. That's great. Suburban areas that have affordable homes are going to be in demand. Rural areas that before no one would even look at. Now they're working remote sometimes or maybe full time. These rural areas are actually catching fire. Okay, on the housing market in a good way. People are moving there that wouldn't have even considered it before. So that's a big trend. Cities with growing job markets and lower cost of living, that's huge. The growing job market, I don't think, is as relevant nowadays because of the fact that so many people, especially in white collar jobs, are working remote. So that's big. And just low cost of living. When people look at Connecticut and compare it to California, New York, New Jersey, believe it or not, Connecticut actually has some of the more affordable taxes, has some of the more affordable properties when you compare it to other high-cost areas. Now, if you compare it to the Midwest, you compare it to the South, it looks horrible. Why would anyone move here? Right. But most of the people I'm seeing moving into Connecticut are coming from higher-cost areas, specifically New York, New Jersey, California.
0: So as far as being, you know, the digital connectivity, and, and as you were saying, people are, the trend is more remote working, That that's all, it, it's going to impact, I would imagine, housing trends and preferences, More right?
1: demand for homes that have the home office, right? If a home that has two home offices or two rooms that can be used as home office, that's huge because if both spouses work from home, that's what they're looking for. Also, high-speed internet is really important. I mean, we take that for granted nowadays, but certain homes, believe it or not, have like fiber optic already wired in. They have certain internet capability already wired in. Only somebody that's a true tech pro is going to have that sort of thing or look for that sort of thing. But it can cost a lot of money to get a house outfitted with that. So for someone that's a big-time like tech guy and works from home, they're going to want that high-speed internet already, you know, already in the house. And it could be the difference between them buying that house or something else. Another thing is less proximity focus. So like we were saying, with so many people working from home, many don't care if they're 20 minutes from the office anymore. They can be two hours from the office, save a bunch of money, and do their work from there. So that is a big thing, is getting away from that urban center, and then more outdoor spaces, more natural amenities, that sort of thing that we were talking about.
0: All right, I'm going to ask you one more question, and maybe you can get answer this in about a minute. Advice. What kind of advice do you have for current homeowners looking to make changes or even improvements to their homes in anticipation of Future market conditions. Definitely.
1: So if you're a homeowner and you're looking to change your home around to make it more accessible, to make it more attractive when you go to sell it, consider making energy efficient upgrades. Consider making your home a smartphone, doing improvements on your home that will help that energy efficiency and and actually help tech enable your property. Outdoor living, uh, outdoor living spaces is huge. If you can do some things with your outdoor to make it just like another room in your home versus just the back patio. That's huge. That's very attractive. To mm. Today's home buyer. You also want to be aware of local zoning and environmental regulations because that could impact the value of your home. Just something to check with your realtor and your local permit office about there.
0: Folks, you have been listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge Podcast. If you'd like more information on this show, as well as uh, any of the others, uh, please head on over to the website. It's www.RobGW.com. It's that simple. You can also email this show. It's very simple to do that as well. It's Mortgage Matters Radio Show at com. Maybe we can get your question answered right here on these very airwaves. Um, as far as the phone number is concerned, if you'd like to set up an appointment with Rob Weinberg, easy to do. 860-413-3938. Again, it's 860-413-3938. For Rob Weinberg, I'm Gary Byron. Thank you so much for listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show in the Connecticut Real Estate Edge Podcast. Until next weekend, have a good one, everybody. So long. Thanks for listening. If you have questions about the information we've covered or would like to discuss mortgage financing for your situation, you can reach Robert Weinberg by visiting www.robgw.com.